We're going to be in Psalm 112 today, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, but as we get started, I just want to reminisce a little bit. I'm a reminiscer. I like anniversaries. I like dates and details. And about a year ago, last spring, I was being interviewed to be your executive pastor here at VCC. And I was on a Zoom call, and uh, in that Zoom call, I uh, was asked the question, who is your spiritual hero? Or it's, who are some of your spiritual heroes? And I didn't probably answer the way they thought I would probably answer that question. I, I came up with some very unassuming names that people probably didn't know. But they probably thought, you know, perhaps it would be uh, this Charles Spurgeon or, or C.S. Lewis would have been a really good one to mention, especially for interviewing at VCC because we have a bunch of Narnia heads here, uh, and especially to our ties to Inklings and that kind of stuff. But I didn't mention C.S. Lewis, nor did I mention Billy Graham or some other names like Brendan Manning. But I mentioned a, a gentleman by the name of Willard who, when I was at school at UC Santa Barbara, was uh, often a prayer warrior at the church that I was a part of called Trinity Baptist Church in Santa Barbara. And Willard would get up and do the pastoral prayer every so often. And he would get so caught up in his prayer that Pastor Ron would have to come up and tap Willard on the shoulder and remind him that he was praying in church. That's how much he loved Jesus, that he would just, you know, get lost in a conversation with Jesus while he was doing a pastoral prayer at church. And I thought as a 19 or 20-year-old, like, I want to be like Willard when I am 83 years old, that I love Jesus that much, that I get just lost in a conversation with him. I also mentioned a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Bright. Some of you may know he's the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ. I actually served on staff with crew, and that's a picture of me with hair. Uh, back in the day. And so, uh, but uh, Bill Bright wrote the Four Spiritual Laws and was very, very instrumental in my life in, lead, in helping me understand really the call of the Great Commission and what that looks like and how we live that out on a daily basis. Then I also mentioned a gentleman by the name of Bryce Jessup, who I'll refer to a little bit later. But Bryce Jessup, uh, president of William Jessup University, had the privilege of working with him. Such a man of encouragement and relationship. I learned so much um, as I spent time with Bryce. And I'll tell you a little bit more of his story here in a few minutes. But uh, as we dive into Psalm 112 today, I think of this wisdom psalm in many ways of what I experienced growing up of these great men and women of the faith who had I looked at and I thought, I want to emulate them. I want to be like them in some form or fashion, right? And the wisdom of this psalm is really this idea of what it means to be a righteous man and how do we live righteously. And as I thought about this, uh, I thought, you know, we don't know who penned this psalm, but from the perspective of this man must have had someone in his life who he wanted to emulate. Because he speaks with such great wisdom and understanding. Like it was like modeled before him. And I don't know if he experienced it himself or he watched someone basically model this for him. But this is the wisdom in which he speaks. And so if you'd like to read along with me, it's Psalm uh, 112. And this is really the picture of the man that I want to become. It begins with verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Hebrew, this means hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I think wisdom begins with worship. Wisdom begins with pursuing God and understanding who God is. That he is sovereign and in control. And that our lives are basically in his, in his care. 
And so it begins with this praise the Lord, this idea of worship. And then he goes on to say, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious and merciful and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Would you join me as we talk to God together? Father God, we come to you today and we thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we pray that your word today would penetrate our hearts and minds to help us to understand what it means to live life in relationship with you and that we'd walk away a little more challenged and a little different as a result of our time in your word today. So open our minds and our hearts to receive what it is that you would speak to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen, Amen. Well, at the get-go, Psalm 112 is a psalm of wisdom, as I mentioned. And this psalm of wisdom begins with worship, acknowledging who God is. But if you're familiar with songs or or basically words of wisdom in the ancient uh, scripture of the Old Testament, you understand that this psalm really could be actually in the book of Psalms or in the book of Proverbs, which is known as a book of wisdom. There is wisdom here, and if you're familiar with wisdom writing from the Old Testament, there is a cause and effect relationship that takes place in the wisdom literature. And basically the scenario is this, that if you do this, this is likely to happen, right? If you do these things, the result will be something like this. Now, it's not necessarily a promise that we can hang our hat on. But there's a likelihood that like 80 to 90 percent, if you do this, this will be the result. And that's the wisdom in which this writer in Psalms is basically lending us to. And we don't know, again, who the psalmist is in this text. But it reminds me of great similarity with the Beatitudes. There's great similarity between Psalm 112 and the Beatitudes, which is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And there's a lot of similarities between those two passages because one is they're both 10 verses long. The Beatitudes is 10 verses. This psalm is 10 verses. Also, they talk about this cause effect of what it means to live as a child of God. That if you do these things, then the likelihood is this will be the result. And it sums up the virtues and the blessings of righteous living. And both of these texts use the word blessed. Blessed, which means to be blissfully happy or contented uh, is the one. Blissfully happy or contented is the one that does these things and it will result in this. And so I've titled this message, Blessed is the one who dot, dot, dot. Because we're going to see this cause-effect relationship at play that if we do these things, this will be the blessing, the result of righteous living. 
These are the virtues and these are the results of righteous living and what that looks like in our life. And so Psalm 112 expounds upon the word blessed or happy in the ways in which the, the life of the upright is blessed. Blissfully happy or contented. You with me so far? All right. All right, let's dive into the text then and really begin to unpack this. The first point that I want to say is this idea of blessed, blissfully happy and content is the one who fears the Lord. Verse 1. It comes right out of verse 1. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. What's fascinating to me is that blessing comes related to fear. And we often have this negative connotation of fear, do we not? Like it's basically we think of it negatively that we're afraid of something or someone and so we're afraid and we want to avoid those scenarios, right? Instead of to say to begin the fear of the Lord is, is really the beginning of wisdom as it talks about in Psalm 111 verse 10. What does it mean that we're to fear the Lord and why do we do it? And I think, you know, again, we, we have this understanding that we have a God who loves us, who wants the best for us and has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. But what does it mean to adequately fear the Lord? And if the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, then what does that mean and how do we understand it? Well, in the, in the writings here, in the writings of wisdom, in the Old Testament, to fear the Lord is to have a reverence and an awe for the Lord. It's to basically revere him, to trust him for the outcome of our lives, to uh, in some ways allow him to command our attentions and our affections, right? And so to fear the Lord is to have an awe, this respect, this honor before the Lord, to know that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and that he is in control of the outcomes of our life. I hear an amen to that? Yeah, I need some amens today. All right. And so with that, we are to have this reverence for the Lord. And there's a pragmatic benefit it talks about in this psalm. It says, because blessed is the one who fears the Lord. Blissfully happy is the one who fears the Lord. And the result it talks about here in verses 2 and 3. It says that his offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house. And his righteousness endures forever. The cause and effect, blessed is the one who fears the Lord. The result is that he will leave a godly heritage. He will leave a godly heritage. As it says again, his offspring will be mighty in the land. And in verse 8 it says he will be remembered forever. I believe all of us are here today because we want our lives to matter. We want to leave a legacy. We want our children and our grandchildren to know and love Jesus and for generations to be blessed because of the faithfulness of our, of our devotion to Jesus. And there is a cause effect here that the, the psalmist is saying that if we fear the Lord, if we have reverence and trust for him, if we stand in awe of him and who he is, then our offspring will be mighty in the land. It's not necessarily a guarantee, but it is a, it is a proverb, it is wisdom that if you do these things, it will likely lead to this. Right? 
Now, I blew it a couple weeks ago when I talked about my mother-in-law and how she persists in prayer. And because she persists in prayer that all of my nieces and nephews know Jesus. And, and we actually had a great weekend last weekend getting together. 47 of us at Plumish Eureka State Park. But I already shared that illustration of a godly heritage with you. And so, but I didn't take long to come up with another one. Um, and that is in the story of Bryce Jessup. I talked about Bryce uh, just earlier. You know, he was one of those guys who has had impact in my life. And uh, he, uh, I had the privilege of working with him when I was on staff at Bayside Adventure for about eight years. And he had just transitioned as the president of William Jessup University, formerly San Jose Christian College in San Jose, then moved up to Rockland, California. And he had just transitioned the leadership to Dr. John Jackson. And uh, he had a couple more hours available on his plate. And so I'm like, Bryce, would you like to lead our seniors ministry here at Bayside? He goes, absolutely, I'd love it. Let's do it. And every Wednesday he would show up faithfully to teach and encourage and equip and edify the saints of our church. And it was glorious because he loved what he did. But uh, when you know Bryce's story, you know a little bit of the legacy that his family leaves. Because his, the university was started by his dad, William Jessup. And William Jessup, actually his father was a believer who imparted the things to William that led to him starting a, a Christian college in San Jose, California. That had impact with the idea of having impact in this region to build up leaders for the gospel to go forth in this region and throughout the world. And so... William imparted to Bryce his son. And Bryce's son took the mantle of leadership and became one of the presidents of William Jessup University. Very, very reluctantly, by the way. He had to be very much convinced. But then that mantle continued with his son Jim Jessup, who are all pictured in this picture together. They love to fish. There you have William on the left, Bryce in the middle, and Jim Jessup, who works at William Jessup University, right there in that picture. And Bryce went home back in 2020 uh, on a hiking trip in Yosemite doing what he loved. It's like if he could have written his home going, that would have been the home going that he would have written. Is to, to right there with creation and God took him in an instant. But this family is one of legacy. This one is one of generations. Because they are a family who fears the Lord. And because of that, there has not only been a generational impact not only biologically, but also spiritually. There has been great men and women who have gone through this university, whose lives have been impacted, that are now serving on the mission field today and around the globe to make the mission of Jesus known to those who don't yet know him. That's a godly legacy. And I want you to say that the encouragement here is that parenting is not a coin toss. The blessing and the wisdom of this passage is that those who fear the Lord will leave a godly heritage. There is a cause and effect in this scenario. And there is intentionality. I love this tweet from uh, Shane Pruitt. Uh, I don't know if we actually have a slide of it. Uh, I think maybe not, now that I recall. But uh, they talk about this idea of a four-generation fade. A four-generation fade. And this is a tweet. He says... Parents who don't make church a high priority for their kids, this is the first generation. Parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Which then results in kids growing up and making it less of a priority for their kids. 
which then leads to those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And then those kids grow up with no concept of God. Four generations, generational drift, not a priority, ultimately to no knowledge and impact for the kingdom of Christ. The reality is that priorities today impact generations. They impact generations. And that's why we have to model. That's why we have to fear the Lord. Because it is the beginning of wisdom. And when we do, our children will see it. You know, one of the reasons why we have this drift because of the church and the lack of impact that we're having in our culture today is because we as Christ followers are not prioritizing our commitment to the Lord and to the fellowship of his people. Right? And so we have this generational drift and we need to model it to our kids. We need to explain it. We need to impart it to them so that the continuation of the church will be a blessing to the nations. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord because he will leave a godly heritage. And I want to say this, it's never too late to begin. No matter where your kids are, it's never too late to begin to love the Lord and to pursue him and to fear him and ultimately know that you can make a difference. And it might just begin by saying, I've blown it. I haven't lived a life in example to you and I'm going to change that. Next thing is this, is that blessed is the one who is full of faith. Full of faith. What does it mean to be full of faith? It goes to Psalm 112 verse 1. Who, it is the one who greatly delights in his commandments. Where is his commandments found? In his word. That our delight is in the word. As Psalm 119 verses 1 through 2 say, blessed, is, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. Again, there is a cause effect here. Then if we are to be people that are be full of faith, then ultimately we are in the word. Because as Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. If we're going to build our faith muscles, we got to be men and women who are in the word of God. We need to delight in his commandments. We need to marinate and meditate on his word. We need to memorize it and hide it in our heart so that we won't sin against God. And when we do, the result is that something will be uh, happen in our lives because we'll have built those faith muscles. And the result is this, that blessed is the one who is full of faith because they will have a godly hope. They will have a godly hope. Look at verses 7 and 8. This is the result of basically delighting yourself in the law of the Lord. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. What hope is in that? He is not afraid. He is not shaken. You know, the stock market could crash and crime rates could rise and bills can mount up. But he is one who trusts in the Lord and in the result that knowing that he is in control of all things. Now, I'm not saying that our faith doesn't exempt us from trials and situations. But it allows us to persevere and not to give up and not to lose hope. Amen. A friend of mine was recently laid off uh, from his church. The church that we served at together back in the Sacramento area. And... Uh, 
I heard the news via a friend, and, and so uh, I reached out to him. And I wasn't sure if I got privy information or if this was really what had come down. Uh, and so I called my friend, and I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, I'm awesome. And I'm like, that's so great to hear. Why are you awesome? Because I'm still trying to probe a little bit. Like, does he really know the news that he's being laid off or whatever? And, uh, and so, like, awesome is not the result of what I wanted to hear. Like, you know, it's like, man, I'm bombed and da, da, da. He's like, I'm awesome. I'm like, why are you so awesome? He goes, because God's given me a new chapter and I get to trust him for a future and a hope that I don't quite understand, but I know he's going to provide. And I, I was like, whoa, Z, like this is amazing. Like, and he talked for 45 minutes and told me about everything that's happened as a result of being laid off, you know. He's like, I was employed during one of the hardest seasons as a musician ever by a great church that I love and I, and I just support. And he's like, as I was, you know, meeting with the HR director and getting my final paycheck, I'm like praying for the HR director and she's in tears you know, because like, she's like, this is so unique. Everyone usually yells at me. They don't like pray for me, you know. And I'm like, what a great attitude. And I'm like, got off the phone thinking that I was going to give something to Z, you know, in this situation. But he ended up blessing me and encouraging me because he was a man who feared the Lord. He delighted in God's word. And because of that, he wasn't shaken by the circumstances of the situation. He was able to see that God's at hand and God's doing something. And he was just delighting knowing that he was a man full of faith. And because of that, he had a godly hope. Amen. 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 Lastly is this. Blessed is the one who is generous. Verse 5. It says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. Going on to verse 9. He says, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteous endures, his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Again, cause effect here. That if there, there we'll get to the result here in a minute. But the idea is that one of the hallmarks of righteousness is joyful generosity. Joyful generosity. Why is that? Because when we give, we reflect the character of God. God is a giver. It says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He is a God who gives. And when we give, we have certainty about our situation and trust to know that God will provide for us. We don't give him the leftovers. This is why scripture says that we give them the first fruits. Of our, of our income. Because there's a matter of trust. That God is the one who owns it all. And I'm merely the steward of what he's given me. And because of that I get to trust him. And to allow him to use those resources to advance his kingdom and his cause. Not only locally here but also throughout the world. And so there's a connection between the righteous heart and joyful generosity. Because they are concerned for the needs of others. And the result is this. Blessed is the one who is generous because they will have godly honor. They will have godly honor, as it says in verse 9, that his horn is exalted in honor. The godly person will be recognized and honored by God and by godly people. 
Now you're like asking the question, like, what is a horn? What does that mean? Is it like a trumpet or what are we talking about here? But the horn refers to one's dignity and one's reputation. They will be a person of great reputation. They will be exalted. They will have power and authority and they will be able to speak to things because their horn has been exalted. Jennifer, my wife, and I had the privilege a couple years ago of being invited back to a church where I served as the executive pastor in Folsom. Um, and one of the members, actually one of the staff members, uh, was celebrating her 90th birthday. When I brought her husband, Don, and her on our staff, they were uh, just getting off the missions field. And they said, hey, you know, we'd like to do something with our time. We've got all this time and resources and, and knowledge and experience. And I'm like, great, what would you like to do? And they're like, we want to invest in the next generation of marriages. And I'm like, perfect, let's, let's do it. And they began to counsel and coach and provide premarital counseling for couples that were getting married. People loved them greatly because they spoke with wisdom. And I had the privilege, Don had gone to be with Jesus a few years prior to that. And I had the privilege of being at Faye's 90th birthday party and was invited to a table of honor at her table. And this is Jennifer, my wife, and, and my, myself there with Faye on her 90th birthday. And boy, her, she has a firm grip for a 90-year-old woman. Like, it's amazing. But a woman so full of faith. So full of faith. And it was generous. They didn't have much but they gave what they had of their time and their talent and of their resources for the kingdom of God. And as I sat at that table and I heard her story, I was blown away how her horn was exalted with honor in that moment. As person after person began to come up and just thank her for the impact that she had in their lives. But what was so beautiful is that Faye received it, but she gave all the glory to Jesus. Because she knew that she was just a vessel used by God to bring impact upon the world. And as I sat there and, and I heard her stories, there's a picture right here of her with Billy Graham uh, on a mission trip to Africa. Uh, where Billy was doing a crusade in Africa and she was serving as a missionary there. That's Dawn to her right, uh, her husband. They weren't married at that point, but uh, they were dating and courting. But uh, back in the day, to be in, you know, in this room of this woman who is being recognized and honored because of her generosity. Her generosity. Proverbs 11.25 says it this way. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And Jesus said it this way in Acts 20 verse 35. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Their horn will be exalted. As we give, we will be recognized because of our generosity. And if you want to receive godly honor, be generous. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your resources. Be generous with what God has given you and the talents and stewarding those for his kingdom. Because blessed is the one who is generous because they will have godly honor. So what does this look like? What does generosity look like? It looks like in Sonata. Giving a week of their time to make a difference in a region that's less and more impoverished and in need of the hope of Jesus, right? And it's carving out, you know, taking that one week of my vacation where I only get two and making that happen. 
It's also, it's giving, it's sponsoring a child in Guatemala as we sponsored 150 kids. We have a generous church. And we're going to make a difference in a region in Guatemala because of the impact of what you guys have done in sponsoring children. It may be beginning to tithe here at VCC to giving back a portion of what God has given you as a first fruit offering to continue to allow God's resources and God's message to go out to this region and beyond the walls of this church. I don't know what it looks like for you, but perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Like, we, you need to be a little bit more generous. And this is how. And I want to encourage you to follow those promptings. Well, this is uh, so beautiful because this idea of how the contrast is happening here. Where the first nine verses talks about this idea of blessing for the righteous. The blessed, the blessed one, dot, 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 right? But verse 10 contrasts the blessings of the righteous with the wicked. When it says this in verse 10. The wicked man sees it, the righteousness of man, sees the righteousness and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. In other words, for the wicked, there is no legacy, there is no hope, and there is no honor. But for the righteous, there is legacy, there is hope, and there is honor. Notice the stark difference of those two verses. And really, I was just thinking about how do I, like, Summarize the starkness of those differences. I've done over about a, probably a hundred memorials in my career as a pastor. And some are huge, huge celebrations where there's such hope and such joy knowing that our loved one is with Jesus. Starkly contrasted with those that don't have that hope. There's no joy. There's no hope. There's no worship. And you're just, your heart breaks in those moments because that person didn't know Jesus. And they're facing consequences of their decisions. But with that, the whole service just falls flat. It's just, you get to see the stark, stark comparison of those who know Christ and those who don't. For the righteous, there is legacy. There is hope. And there is honor. But for the unrighteous, there is no legacy. There is no hope. There is no honor. The Lord's commands are not made for drudgery. Blessed, blissfully happy is the one who does these things. And so if we walk in the ways of the Lord and we're honest in our business dealings and we're secure when evil comes, we will be blessed. Blissfully happy to have a contentment and joy. And our heritage will be godly and our hope, and we'll have a godly hope and a godly honor. So I want to ask you these questions just really quick. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? The wisdom of this psalm begins with worship. It begins acknowledging, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He is in control. What are you worshiping? What is capturing your affections and attention. And how's your heart? The heart and the hands are so connected to each other. The heart that is gracious will be the hands that are generous. So how's your heart? And what are you worshiping? It says here, as I just recap this idea that 
this idea that blessed is the one who fears the Lord because they will have a godly heritage. Blessed is the one who is full of faith because they will have a godly hope. Blessed is the one who is generous because they will have godly honor. There is no greater blessing than fearing the Lord. Delighting in his commandments. So let us worship him. Let us surrender to him. Let us trust him. Let us pursue him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Let us delight ourselves in his word. And as a result, we will be blessed. We will be people of generosity. We will be a magnetic force for the kingdom of God where people will flock to this place because God is doing something in our midst. And they cannot deny that God is at work here at VCC. Can I hear an amen to that? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, who delights in his commandments, and who is generous. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it is, again, living and active. And we pray that these truths would marinate in our hearts and minds, Lord, that would transform our thinking so that we might reflect your character and your conduct and your commitments more fully in our lives, Father. And so, Father, we ask that you would guide guide our time as we enter into communion, as we enter into worship, Lord, that worship would be the response of wisdom. And God, that you would just continue to speak to our hearts and our minds right now in this, we ask. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.